look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, and filling in for Dave Popowich this week, Andrew Masson. Andrew, welcome. Thanks, Faisal. Back again. Just two weeks ago, I was here. Yeah, so back to back, right? Yeah. Last week, I was I was away. You covered for me. Now mm-hmm. you're covering for Dave. So you're going to end up having a permanent gig on this show, buddy. That sounds great. You know, we've got a great show today. There's um, we, we, with Valentine's week happening. What did you do for Valentine's Day? Do you know? Do you remember? A couple um, days, days ago. Yeah, uh, I made dinner for the family. Had a boy. You know, it was pretty straightforward. But you know, my wife was pleased to get a card and some other stuff as well. well. So, so she was. She had a smile on her face in the end, and that's really all that matters. Do you know one of the most romantic things men can do for women is make dinner for them? Well, I didn't know that, but I do it. You, I do it often. You are a stud, my so. friend. Well done. Well done. Okay, so. We had, we had Valentine's week, we'll call it, because people were celebrating it all throughout the week and this weekend for sure. Um, so let's talk about cheating. <laughs> Finan- financial inf- infidelity will be. So we'll be, you'll be surprised at how many people keep financial secrets from their partner. So we're going to have a conversation and some information about what goes on there. And then mm-hmm. we're also going to talk about long-term care. And one of the biggest fears our clients and Empirically, the evidence shows that people are afraid of the costs of healthcare as they age. It's no different than the fear of retirement, you know, in my mind, because if you're going to retire, you're always fearing about how much am I going to have and if I'm going to be able to survive or, or, or um, enjoy my, my lifestyle. No different from life, uh, uh, from, from healthcare, because if we don't attack that fear, Faisal, we're not going to get anywhere with it. Correct. And so with the fear of long-term care costs, health care costs, the, the conversation is the how much. The conversation is, do I need it? And so I think we need to address this, this question. I think we need to bring on um, the experts to talk about what the costs are. So I'm really looking forward Absolutely. to that part of the, the conversation. We have a health bucket as one of our four buckets that we discuss with our clients. And health is an asset class. Health is uh, a cost in the future. So you need to dedicate some assets to it potentially. So let's, let's, we're going to talk about some real numbers there. And so before we get into all that part from our show, I wanted to kind of talk about what happened this week. Um, both of us... We're reporting some of the, the business news this week, and I think one of the key things that came out was the earnings reports that really hit from Canada. A lot of the Canadian companies reported, um, and two companies that reported this week um, that are part of a new industry, at least uh, relatively new, uh, the cannabis industry. Uh, I want to touch on that very very quickly because two of the companies, Aurora and Can- Canopy, um, re- re- reported their results, and it kind of gives you the stake of how two of the largest companies are doing in this space. And they're doing not bad. They're yep. doing not bad from a revenue perspective. They haven't made real core earnings, like net well, income yet. It's, it's hard to really drive that considering it's only really first quarter results. It's it's new on the books, but yeah. they're only doing um, sales of marijuana or, or cannabis now. Yeah. Let's say since 
November? Well, legal recreational. Legal recreational, yeah. Yeah, the medical side, which Aurora has been part of for a while, yes. has shown something. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's a very new industry, has got a lot of attention. People are looking at either adding to their positions, buying new positions, exploring should they go through um, mm-hmm. investing in this. And I kind of wanted to address when you start dealing with these types of infant industries, okay? They're fairly new. Yes. Um, be prepared to take some substantial losses because a new industry requires um, innovation, requires um, patience, requires um, experimenting with mm-hmm. uh, with uh, business models and strategies. So there are going to be quite a bit of companies that are going to fail. Well, or consolidate or or a bunch of other things could potentially yeah, happen. They could too. consolidate. And people think that when you consolidate or get bought out, it's a good thing. Think Not of it this way. There are so many tech companies back in 1997, 98, 99 that fell 60, 70% in value yep. and then get bought out. So just because your company got bought out doesn't mean you got bought out at a premium to what you paid for it. It might be at a premium of what the market at the time of the purchase. Well, and the fundamentals of, of all these balance sheets that are coming out, Faisal, are, are, are different because it's all a question of how much you think that product is going to sell for. How much is this going to go for? Um, and it's hard with these infant industries to really put together an analyst package or somebody who can analyze all the data and say, hey, this makes sense or it doesn't make sense. So you get a lot of conflicting stories. Yep. Another new story that came out of it to the, um, this week was we saw the politics come back into play. Um, the shutdown was averted mm-hmm. from the U.S. U.S. and China trade relations look a little bit better. We saw a nice yes. bump early on Friday. We saw a drop the day before on Thursday. And so I kind of want to touch on this, is we don't have a deal yet. There's no U.S.-China deal done. It's not done. And so every day that we get an update on things are looking good, things are not looking good, they're getting together, they're not getting together, they like each other, they don't like each other, um, those types of issues that come up bring volatility to the market, positive and, and negative. True, but it's also a different volatility, right? Because it's all based on hearsay. It's it's really a political view on one thing or another, and it's the market is taking that and fearing it because it, it hits – everybody with electronic means way faster than it did 10 years ago, 15 yep. years ago, 20 years ago. Yep. Um, so. And, and it's, it's, it's worldwide. It's not just happening right. in North America. It's worldwide reaction to this. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at your portfolio, you're transitioning to or living in retirement and you're looking at your portfolio and you see these swings, positive and negative, it, it, it is unsettling. But remember, this is not based on true hard fact it's based upon opinion of what could happen given the current information that was given that's it and so um my concern with that is that we see too many individuals basing their retirement and the decisions in their portfolio on on speculation in the market they're not using hardcore numbers. So let me give you an example. We, we, we met with a client or a, a, a person who wanted to have a second opinion. And they're upset. They lost 9% last year. Okay, they're upset. 9% of their portfolio was dropped. They came in for, for a second opinion. And um, in the conversation, I asked about the, the big picture. Yep. How much money do you need in your lifestyle? What kind of lifestyle are you holding? Uh, what are your assets? All all the questions that we asked to kind of get the understanding of the situation. 
And if you want a second opinion, the more information that we have, the better the opinion will look like, right? And so in that conversation, Andrew, what, what happened was um, these individuals didn't know how much income they needed. These individuals didn't know what kind of lifestyle they wanted. They well, literally were planning their lifestyle month by month. Based on performance of, of the their portfolio. portfolio. And that's, unfortunately, we have to stop thinking that way. And that, but but we're, our brains are, are, let me put it to you this way. Our brains are, are hard-coded saying it's got to go up. And we've been doing this for the last 20, 30, 40 years of saving money. And it's been going up. But now I'm going to have to live off it. And the idea of not grilling for performance, but actually narrowing it down and saying, what do I really need to, to, to make my retirement reality concrete um, is forgotten? Because maybe you only need 2%. So why are you searching for 9 or 10? And why are you reacting to your lifestyle based upon what the markets do? Yeah. Or what the dividend check is, or like uh, we we we've entered into this business, you, Dave, myself, um, with the mission that we want people's lifestyle to be maintained throughout their life. We do not want them to fluctuate their lifestyle based upon what happens in the stock market, and, and I think it's a very stressful, high high anxiety, and somewhat unnecessary. Um, way to think about your retirement based upon the performance of your portfolio. That, well, you know, imagine, it be imagine you're 65, it goes up 9%, so I can spend X dollars. And that happens. And then the following year, you only get negative four. What can you spend now? Less. And there are people mm -hmm. that do this. And, and so I think when you bulletproof your retirement, it comes on with asset dedication. And, and we've talked about this time and time again. It's been such a, a, a great um, 12 months of, of educating individuals at our seminars. Our seminars yeah. are fully booked. And so if, unfortunately, if you could not register for our seminars, we'd be more than happy to share with you a complimentary copy of our book called Bulletproof Your Retirement. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com, go on the contact us, send me a note saying I'd like a copy of your book, Bulletproof Your Retirement, and our team will send out a copy to you. So I think that's an important piece that I want yes. people to kind of understand that. Don't let don't let financial markets dictate your future. You dictate your future, uh, not the financial markets. I think that's what the objective of today's conversation was. Yeah, I think that's a fair objective. Do you know that people are, are, are cheating on their spouses in a financial way? Yes. Okay. I do. So um, let's I'm, get to I the... Think, I think that's because that's that's the root of what we do. We, <laughs> we understand a lot of what's going on in the family dynamic. Yeah. So we're going to talk about how, why people are keeping secrets from their sp other spouse. And we're talking about financial secrets. You're listening to 770 CHQR and more than money. Go on, Welcome back. You're listening to 770 CHQR and more than money. And uh, Andrew... Valentine's week. Let's talk infidelity. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, not that kind of infidelity. Well, that wasn't the infidelity I was talking about. Yeah, financial infidelity. Let's talk about that. Let's talk. It actually happens. And it's funny yeah. because on our book, Bulletproof Your Retirement, we talk about a couple who one didn't tell the other about how much debt he had and was kind of hiding it. And so... It's it was a real case in our clientele. We found mm -hmm. you know there was a, there's a quite a few clients who don't share their information with each other. There's that's a, a common thread amongst a lot of people. Um, 
I think it's fear driven for the most part. Yeah, and I don't think people realize how common it is. Yeah. So I think we need to talk to you know our guest here, Lori Campbell. She's the CEO of Credit Canada, and we're going to have that chat. Lori, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Okay, so we've had cases with our clients who have not been, let's say, totally transparent with each other of what kind of um, debt or assets they may have, um, where they're spending their money. Do they actually have those kind of conversations? So let's kind of go through um, first. Let's define this stuff and then get into more details. Lori, what's the, what is financial infidelity? Well, financial infidelity is any type of dishonesty around your finances, and it could be something as innocuous as, you know, maybe not telling your partner about all your spending, uh, it could be hiding a bank account, it could be using your spouse or partner's credit, it could be not disclosing all the financial information about your, your yourself when you first meet someone. So those, these are all types of infidelity. Obviously, it can get really bad uh, where the individual may take out uh, a second mortgage, uh, you know, and uh, put a, have uh, another mortgage registers against the house and you know these types of things as you can imagine cost uh, relationships significantly not only on a financial level but also on an emotional level now do we see it amongst retirees like i've seen a couple cases but is it common you know, it's, it's, these types of things can be common amongst retirees, and certainly we obviously see um, children, you know, we call it friendly fraud, where they may be, uh, you know, the power of attorney for an older adult and cleaning them out, so we certainly see that. But we also see a lot in the, in the you know, the romance scams or, or just meeting someone for the first time and, you know, you're lonely and that person uh, may take advantage of you financially. So this certainly can happen, and we've seen it here at Credit Canada. Wow. Um, you know, I think about all the different things that could potentially happen, um, Faisal, and I remember a, a situation a long, long time ago where uh, a couple were together and the infidelity was she uh, she had a gambling debt. Problem, then, not a debt. Well, that's a, a problem. A gambling yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. he came home and the house was up for sale. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a big I, infidelity, I, but... Uh, <laughs> it's significant, but this kind of stuff absolutely does happen, especially with gambling debts, and, and gambling is a very secretive thing, um, you know, or investing in some type of a pyramid scheme where you think you're going to get rich quick, and they've taken, they've emptied the bank account thinking that they're going to be able to triple their money, and they've lost everything. So, you know, it's it's not, unfortunately, uncommon, and what we see here at Credit Canada is, is the fallout of that, you know, we ruin credit ratings, uh, high debt levels and ruined retirement for many people if they're at that stage of life. Yeah. Um, now, on an age bracket, is, it, is there more people that are doing it um, uh, or, or financial infidelity shows a little bit more as, as they're younger versus older? Or is there a, a differential between the two? Well, we certainly see it more with the younger group between 18 and 54. You know, and it's understandable. They're probably meeting new new partners and uh, going through the process of getting to know somebody. And you, and the red flags may be there, but people often don't trust their gut on these things. And, and they might even find out, you know, six months after they're married that this individual that they've married has, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in debt that they didn't disclose. So we know that it happens uh, with younger, um, the younger generation, but I think that as uh, time moves forward and, we're, and you know, with the internet and everything else that's going on, we are going to see this type of financial infidelity on the rise and people need to protect themselves and they need to trust their gut instinct. So let me go over some of the stats that came out that you, you've produced to us and uh, love the charts that you gave us. Um, so Andrew, age 18 to 34, 47% have um, been involved with financial infidelity. It goes all the way down to 18% when you're 65 years of age or older. 
what I found very interesting is some of the key topics that they discussed uh, in the report. One of them was uh, they ran up credit card balances without telling me, so uh, setting up on credit. Um, they contribute less than they should based on their income. Mm. So they're, they're, they're keeping cash. They lied about how much income they make. Um, which is interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they they made a major purchase without consulting me. I, I, that, uh, so major purchase. Not we're not talking like minor stuff. Here. We're talking yeah. cars, homes, cars. luxury yeah, the boat items. Hiding in the marina. Yeah, that kind of yeah, major yeah. purchase. Oh yeah. By the way, we got a, we got a second property, sweetheart. Here it is. Right. Yeah, surprise. So they 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 kept a secret stash of cash for me. So when I read that side story here, I thought of my mom. When I was young. Mm-hmm. I would go to my dad and say, look, I'm going out with some friends. We're going to go play hockey. We're going to go for Slurpees after because that was the thing when I was young to do. Uh, can, I get, can I get a couple of bucks? And then I would go to my mom and ask the same question. So I'd get two bucks from my dad. And then I'd go to my mom. <laughs> and then my mom would reach into her secret stash and she'd give me $4, not two. And she'd say, don't tell your dad. <laughs> so I got six bucks out of the transaction. Well, at least you had the option to talk to both parents and get money. I certainly yeah. didn't yeah. get that at all. Yeah, so. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure who was scamming who there, though. I, yeah, I, I, I didn't say I was. I wasn't participating in the problem. I was just saying that my mother did that too. She would give me extra money and say, "Don't tell my dad." Because she wanted, well, she, she was keeping it because it, it was a very, you know, it was a strict home and so forth. So, so th- then there also was one piece that caught me. Four percent of the people in this in this report went bankrupt, and they had no idea that they were in deep financial trouble. Yes, and that's what we see here often. In fact, we have situations, believe it or not, uh, that the couple can't even be in the same room with each other because one of them has had a P.O. box number where all the, the credit card statements have gone, and, and they may be joint or they bracked up joint debt, and the other person's had no idea because they've controlled the money, and they find out that they're in thousands of dollars of debt. Um, they may be bankrupt, and the other person has had absolutely no idea. This is, unfortunately, a lot more common than you'd believe. So that wow. being said, if those those commonalities come to effect, you know how and knowing how many people do keep secrets from their from their spouses or partners, um, what kind of conversation or what kind of open conversation should people have um, with money with their significant others? Well, while it's not romantic, you know, you you need to have these conversations. Well, <laughs> it's not hot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Talking about money's not romantic. Come on. Well, maybe with you, Faisal, but I tell you, that's a different story altogether. Sorry, so, sorry, Larry, know, go ahead. I, I jumped in there. I'm, I apologize. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So you know, they need to have they need to sit down and, and disclose where they're at financially. If one person's controlling the bills, the other one's putting letting this happen blindly. You're just as much at fault. So be aware of the of the cash flow of the household. What's coming in? What's going out? Be aware of all the debts and all the bills. Uh, be have a, a, a limit on what they can an individual a partner can spend on their own. It may be a hundred dollar limit. Anything over that, you have to discuss it with your partner. Lots of simple things like that. You know, do um, uh, write down your goals together. Do a project- every month. Are you further ahead? Or are you further behind? These are all really important. And and key to this is talking about finances early on. I mean, yeah, no, I know it's not romantic to talk about on a first date or a second date, but about the third, fourth date, when you think this is getting serious, you should start asking some questions. And, and, and if the person's not willing to disclose information, I think that's a big red flag right there. And as time goes on, trust your gut on this. I mean, if this person seems secretive, if they're always, they've always left their wallet or their purse at home, if they're constantly needing to borrow money, you know, some, you know, their credit cards got stolen period, like more than once, um, their bank accounts been frozen, lots of things like that, that they're, they're kind of writing off as, oh, it's not my fault. 
those are big red signs. Lori, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this because this is a topic that we don't normally discuss. Um, it's not always discussed in homes, and I think you know raising awareness is a very good thing. Thank you, Lori. My pleasure. Thank you. We've been joined by Lori Campbell, CEO of Credit Canada, and uh, you know, Andrew, this is where you know more transparency, open conversations are required, and we would want we want to ask every single person, regardless of if you're in a long term relationship or you're starting a new relationship, you need to you need to have those kind of conversations. You know, and a lot of people, you know, there's a blue and pink jobs, Faisal. Okay. And, you know, and, and different households have different sort of things. Some people look at the money together, others do not. But yep. you know what? You don't have to be perfect on it. You just have to understand what's going in and what's going out on a regular basis and, and have that conversation with your partner um, because, you know, it'll certainly help you um, navigate a lot of things. And maybe that puts you in a situation where maybe perhaps maybe you're getting a financial plan or building something out in the future as well. That's fantastic. Great, great information there, Andrew. And coming up after the break, we're going to talk about how much does it really cost for long-term care. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And Andrew, one of the biggest concerns people have as they go through retirement is the uh, the cost of health care in the future. Yes. It's aging, um, their own health, and then to pay for that. And one of the biggest questions that I get, because I get to work on the health bucket with a lot of our clients as, as the lead on it, um, is how much is it going to cost? Yeah, and you've lived a lot of that through me to some degree. And Dave. And Dave, uh, because I had a, a mom who's, who's recently passed but uh, was in a long-term care facility. Um, and, and that cost is, is surprisingly high um, in my mind. Um, and, of course, every little bit of information you can possibly get in this subject is crucial. So part of the shock that people get, Andrew, and, and, and you've lived it, so you can yeah. jump in here on this one. Part of the shock that people get is they're surprised a, that there is a payment to make because healthcare, in theory, has been a non-payment out of pocket when you use it for most of the situations. Now, we're not talking dental, chiropractic, no. physiotherapy. Those are, th- those people understand, but to actually have someone care for you, the cost, people don't have that, their head wrapped around that you got to pay out of pocket. Well, and what does long-term care really look like, too? And what I mean by that is, is, is it uh, home care? Is it part-time? Is it full-time? Is it in a uh, assisted living facility? Is it in a long-term care facility? There's so many different ways of looking at this. And there's so many questions that we have. And, of course, we don't have all the answers, so we have to get uh, some of the experts out there. So we're joined with Karen Henderson. She's founder and chief executive of Long-Term Care Planning Network. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, so we're just going to go right into the first question that all of our clients have is, what does long-term care really cost? Well, uh, each province is different in this country, but when it comes to Alberta, um, there are a range of costs depending on how you define long-term care. Long-term care can mean living at home. Long-term care can mean uh, living in a retirement or assisted living facility. And long-term care can also mean living in a supportive living or a long-term care facility. So I'm assuming that you mean the latter. If you have information on all of them, let's start let's start okay. knocking it down. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you want to stay at home, which most people do uh, until the end of their life, you will need, in all probability, home care. Uh, and the amount of home care you need will depend on the family support that you have. Uh, given that you do have family support and you need to pay for extra, 
Uh, in Alberta, the Calgary mean right about now is $28 an hour for someone to come in and, and uh, help with what we call the activities of daily living, which means uh, help with meal prep, home house cleaning, and personal care. And uh, that can go up to $10,000 a month for 24-7 care. So home care can be excruciatingly expensive. Yeah, yeah. If we move along the continuum to retirement home care, people move into retirement homes because they're they're tired of maintaining their own home and they're they're pretty healthy. They may may need some help with perhaps medication management, and the average uh, here is about three to four thousand dollars a month for accommodation and meals and activities. And these facilities are privately owned rental accommodation. So the province has nothing to do with rates in uh, retirement or assisted living. Finally, along the continuum, we have long-term care, um, which also may mean um, supportive care. And this is the type of accommodation that people need when they need 24-hour care or supervision because of chronic health conditions, frailty, or because they suffer from a dementia such as Alzheimer's. Right now, effective July 1st in 2018 um, in Alberta, the average monthly standard uh, room rate, that is, would be for uh, more than three, or three people or more in a room, is 1600 a month. For a semi-private room, is 1700 a month. And for a private room, it's just over $2,000 a month. So if you look at all, all three along the continuum, if you are stretched for funds, then living in a long-term care facility could be your least expensive option. However, you need to qualify to get into long-term care. You just can't decide that you want to move into a long-term care facility. You have to be assessed by the province. And and the the, the timeline in which you could get into one of those facilities um, with that's provincially run um, is significant in length, if I'm correct. Well, um, actually, I've tried to find that out. Um, okay. Right here in Toronto, or sorry, in Ontario, there's 26,000 people waiting for a bed in long-term care. Yep. I couldn't find I couldn't find the number in Alberta, but I know I know there is a um, a wait list for sure. There's a wait list in every province for for the facilities that people think are the best. Yeah, because in Ontario, I, I you know where I was uh, was dealing with that right now. Um, it was you know it could be anywhere from two weeks to two years, depending on the facility yeah. you chose. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I would say it's similar to, to that here in Alberta. Um, but when it comes to, um, let's say, going to the, what is, are there specific costs that, um, that nobody thinks about that really have to be considered um, in looking at one of these um, three options? Uh, there's always costs that surprise you. Um, uh, if you don't plan uh, for long-term care, and you don't put money aside, it becomes it can become quite costly. One of the things that people don't realize that is if they wait too long to apply for a bed in long-term care, uh, they have to pay out-of-pocket for care at home during this wait time, which, as you have said, can be two weeks or two years. That's unexpected. Other costs are, of course, equipment costs. Wheelchairs can be four or $5,000. Walkers up to four hundred. Uh, other assistive devices in the home have to be paid for. A, a hospital bed can be four thousand dollars. A scooter twenty 
2400 you know the list goes on um and when when you get into a facility uh and i'm going to really talk about long-term care here the extra costs are things like medications that aren't covered by um, the Alberta government, things like incontinence products that a resident may need, services in the facility such as, as um, foot care or nail care or someone wants to get their hair done. And also, if you decide that you want more care for a parent in, in a long-term care facility, then you pay for that yourself. Uh, on an hourly rate. So that would be, you know, around $28 an hour. And then we're also going to share this with all of our clients and all of our, our listeners that, that want to come to our radio, sh- our, our radio website um, after. Um, they need some uh, guidance. And I think, how do you protect yourself from these costs? Or what should someone be doing from now to prepare uh, that there may be these types of costs in the future coming out of their pocket? Well, the first thing they need to do is understand how the provincial health care system works where they live, and in this case, it's Alberta. And so you need to understand what we call the continuum of care, which starts from care in the home and works all the way through to end-of-life or palliative care. And every one of those um, has costs attached to it and also has... Um, uh, a telephone number to call, which I will uh, supply you uh, with for your readers. Awesome. So that's the first thing. Understand the, the healthcare system where you live. Um, secondly, uh, look at your own family history with respect to health. What diseases run in your family? What might you suffer from? Uh, is it arthritis? Is it high blood pressure? Is it Alzheimer's? Is it ALS? So you can become familiar with the disease progression and the kinds of costs that are involved in managing this disease. And the last thing is to understand that the government doesn't pay for everything. And Canadians across this country, unfortunately, believe that, you know, when push comes to shove, um, when all is said and done, that the government will be there to pay. And the government is only there to pay for partial care at any level, whether it's uh, home care or long-term care. The rest comes uh, from the taxes that we pay or from what we pay out of pocket. So uh, what I tell my clients is to have a family conversation, sit down with your family and look objectively at your situation. Let's say you're 65 or 70 and you sit down with your family and say, okay, here's, here's the health challenges that I face. Here's where I live. Here's where I want to live as I age. Um, here are the family members who are able and willing to help me. And here um, is my professional team, my family doctor, my specialist for this or my specialist for that. All of this information needs to be compiled in one place. And then finally, a funding mechanism has to be created. So whether you buy long-term care insurance or whether you set up a health spending account or you purchase an annuity, there has to be some kind of funding mechanism for long-term care. No um, financial or retirement plan is complete without a funding mechanism for long-term care. Amen. Amen to that. That's the one thing, Andrew, we've been pushing and talking to people about and pounding the table on every time we talk about a retirement plan, <laughs> Yeah, that you cannot have a retirement plan without a health plan. You can't. No, no, you can't. 
Yeah. In, so in, a perfect, in a perfect world, we never have to do that. But let's let's be realistic. Uh, Canadians are living. Canadians are living longer. They're enjoying their lifestyles longer. But that also has um, a medical uh, aspect to it that doesn't go away. In fact, it just gets harder. That's right. That's right. Karen, I want to thank you so much for all the information you provided. We're going to have a follow-up with you. I think we need to bring you to the city because it's better than Toronto and also because we want to <laughs> we want to make sure that we can educate our clients. We're going to have our retirement conference. So I'm going to get my staff to connect with you because I would love for you to come down to Calgary and, and share your wisdom to, the, to all of our clients. Well, I, would, I lived in Calgary, so I love your city. And uh, I'm always delighted to come back and, and speak and educate. So I would be pleased to accept an invitation. Thank you. Um, we'll, we'll be following up with you. And again, if anybody wants more information, reach out to us on morethanmoney.ca. And uh, we'll be more than happy to uh, connect you with all the resources that Karen has. Uh, great, great piece. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. And thank you for your um, interest in this ever-increasingly critical issue. We've been joined by Karen Henderson, founder and chief executive of the Long-Term Care Planning Network. Now, stay tuned after the break. We're going to talk about some of the biggest concerns that retirees had. I've been on a pretty much a cross-country tour talking to individuals and groups. So I'll share my thoughts of what people across the country are most concerned about when it comes to retirement. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Andrew. We uh, we had a very interesting week, you and I. We did. Okay, so let's kind of give the context to everybody. Um, we had a great show first. Let's recap the show, then go talk about what our how interesting our week was because it was um, it's a little bit different for both of us. Um, what a great show we had initially. We talked about financial infidelity. I, I I know that people are not totally transparent with their partners when it comes to their money. I didn't realize some of the concerns that people had. So learning the fact that, you know, um, people have uh, have took off with all their money out of the country, or they they lie to their partners about how much income they make. Yep. I, I didn't I didn't grasp that information until I got the research report. Yeah. So, well, it's it's huge. Like there's there's so many things that that happen, and and we love is blind. <laughs> it is, yeah. and and so we don't necessarily pay attention to these things. That's and, you know, fair. Unfortunately, money is one of those things, and we've got to keep ourselves very much grounded. Yeah, sometimes you have to lose it in order to understand the value of it. That's right. right? Um, you made some notes. We had Karen Henderson. She was the founder and chief executive of Long Term Care Planning Network. She talked about some of the costs. You made some yeah. notes about that. Just quickly, I thought that was very well, interesting from a pricing perspective. Well, on a pricing, pr- uh, and this was only the long term care facilities, and those are government run facilities where they said you know uh a a a private room would cost in the range of two thousand plus dollars a month uh a semi-private room being at at uh seventeen hundred a month and and uh uh, a less than semi-private room. Usually, there's about six people in it. Um, is about sixteen hundred a month. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. But remember, that's a long-term care facility. So that's a government-run facility, not private. Yep, it's not private, and there's a light waiting list to get in, and those lists are long. Where, if if I go back and look at things, um, a facility that's uh, that's retirement living or extended extended uh, system um, where it's private could run you. On average, three to four thousand, but you know what? It's pay for what you get. So as it moves along and there's more needs required, that number comes up. And, Absolutely. And as as uh, I've felt it before, going from five to eight thousand a month, yeah, um, is a mother. massive amount. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is massive. It is massive. Um, I wanted to share with our listeners about um, our weeks, our last seven days. Mm-hmm. Over the last seven days, I've been in, I've been fortunate to travel across this country, um, going and and hit every snowstorm and, and weather pattern. Uh, no so, demand. So this whole snow issue and cold front is my fault. I apologize to everybody because I brought it from east to west. I was trapped in. Uh, in airports and so forth, but um, well worth it considering the conversation that I had. So I spoke in Ottawa, Vancouver, Calgary to many different groups about retirement. Um, I'll, I'll kind of focus my um, on Ottawa and in, in Calgary because these two conversations were very interesting. I had a group of, of retirees in a room um, from different corporations in this country. I won't name the corporation, but I got the opportunity to speak to their retirees. And I'll tell you some of the concerns that they had. My conversation with with the Ottawa retirees in that city, their concern was not about the markets. It was not about the taxes. It was about the economy. Mm-hmm. They're seeing the economy a bit more challenging given the fact they don't see growth in their city. Okay, So their concerns are what's going to happen in the future for the economy? How are we going to um, grow this Canadian economy, very macro Canadian viewpoint. Then let's go to the Calgary location that I went to and I spoke to another company's retirees and their response was taxes, income. How do I get that income? How do I get more money in my pocket? They're dealing more, I call it a mm-hmm. micro level on on the different types of, of income they can get and how can they put more in their pocket and less going for taxes. Very different between East and West, going Ottawa to Calgary. Vancouver was somewhere in the middle of the two conversations. That's why I'm not spending time on that one. But I want to focus on the Calgary piece because we're we're coming out of Calgary. We can speak to Calgary and it's income and taxes, which goes down pretty much what your week was like. Well, and and what I really think my week was is about building your retirement paycheck. Yes. And we didn't really talk about markets that much clients and I. Yeah. Uh, But we did talk about how does this all come together? Because the fear of building that paycheck where before the company I worked for gave me a check no longer exists. So now I've got to take it out of my own assets. How is that happening? And we've had to, to really draw it out piece by piece for each individual to say, this is what it looks like. And then place a tax overlay on top of it to say, how does that look like? Because we have to take into consideration things like income splitting, old age security, Canada pension plan, pensions. All these things are a big part of that pension, uh, of that retirement paycheck. And how do you pull it out and how are we going to do it the most effectively so I get the most bang for my buck and the most dollars in my jeans? I found the stress level higher mm-hmm. when you start talking about the source of income, how you're going to receive the income, and how you're going to take money from your savings. So yes. either your investment portfolio, RSPs, TFSAs, whatever. Mm-hmm. I call them all savings. Savings for the future. How are you going to draw on that when you don't have a paycheck from your employer or from your business? Um, what's going to happen? That anxiety level goes up. The stress level goes up. They start concerned about everything else exterior because you have no um, reliability on that. Well, and but you don't have one thing, which is right. You don't have. You haven't built that paycheck, so you haven't figured out all the pieces. Yes. And you know what? The minute people started seeing all these pieces, and we started drawing them out, because I use a whiteboard, I like that. Yeah. Um, but but when we draw them out and say, okay, this is where we're going to get this from. This is where this is coming from. And then at the end, they look at it and they go, oh, 
well, that's not so bad. Yeah. But the fear... But they need a plan. And not uh, only a financial plan that calculates the numbers that in the future you're going to be okay. Yeah. We're talking about a detailed plan that goes from how you're going to get your money, how much tax you're going to pay, and how it's going to end up in your pocket, and what frequency it's going to happen with zero or very little volatility or risk. That's right. Because that's the concern. I'm going to put my money in the stock market, and I get frustrated when I hear people say, for my retirement and my income, I'm going to rely on the stock market to make my money or dividends from a corporation to pay me so I can live off that. I have a big concern with that. I think we've got it all wrong. Our, the strategy of asset dedication using different buckets for different objectives actually meet the goals between Income for your income needs, your cash flow needs on a month-to-month basis, and then a separate bucket for growth, which mm-hmm. has long-term benefits for you, so you can never run out of money, because that's the, another big fear that people have in retirement. Yeah, the biggest fear I've ever come across from people is always running out of money. There's a fear that I'm going to go to zero, and it, can that happen? And you know what? If you're fully invested in the market, which a lot of people are, and if you're a discounter, if you're you're in that arena where you're doing it yourself, okay. Um, when you go down and you, you're you're living off the stock market, the problem with that is if you draw down and the and markets have gone down, you're just digging that hole deeper. It's going to be harder to get out, and it's just not something we're used to. We're programmed as individuals to put the money in and let it grow over time. The hardest part now is I'm changing your programming. I'm taking yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah, you're getting put on a budget and you have to draw from your savings. Like these are two things that Canadians have a hard time doing. Well, I would say anybody has a hard time doing based on the fact that if I have to draw it out to pay for myself over my lifetime, it's a new, it's a new problem. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we could talk about this forever. And to end off our show, I wanted to kind of, um, first of all, say thank you, Andrew, for, uh, filling in for Dave, way better co-host than Dave Popovich is. Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, Faisal. And if you want to listen to more about these shows from the past and get more information, go to morethanmoneyradio.com or go on your Apple Podcast app and look for More Than Money CHQR. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.